Hello, and thank you for joining us for this installment of the Extant Podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is show number 20, where we'll be talking about season two, episode 10 of the CBS summer series Extant. This episode was titled Don't Shoot the Messenger, and it aired on August 26th, 2015. And Don't Shoot the Messenger was written by Tom Pabst, who we've heard from earlier this season. He's actually new to the writing team, but this is his second episode. And Dan Lerner is the director. He's done quite a few episodes, season one and two. This is his fifth. So another veteran crew here. And I think this episode had a lot of surprises for us. Certainly some unexpected turns that I would never have been able to delineate in our podcast discussion last week. So really cool. And it seems like a lot of the genre shows that are uh, airing during the summer are coming under some criticism for not moving things along quickly enough at the end. And certainly we talked before about what's going to happen. They do have four episodes left, man. They really moved it forward here. Yeah. I think throughout it's been really solid writing, very cohesive across episodes, even with different writers. And yeah, that, uh, that honestly has not been the case for a lot of the summer shows I've been watching. And I'm just pleasantly surprised that Extant has really just upped its game in season two. We loved it in season one, but I think we can all agree that season two is just knocking it out of the park. Right. Now, I would say you must not be watching Falling Skies, but I know that you are. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's one of the ones we're talking about. But um, just very little show news this week. We just wanted to mention, in case you weren't aware of it, and I certainly wasn't until Dave told me, <laughs> that the finale will be a two-hour finale, so you'll get a double dose of Extant in two weeks. So next week we have episode 11 and then 12 and 13 are together on September 9th. So really kind of looking forward to that because that usually spells a, an explosive conclusion. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully the ratings will keep trending up they, as they did this week, went up a 10th to 0.8, another three share just under 5 million viewers. And, you know, again, in the Live Plus 3, they've been going up about 25% each week, around ending up just shy of 7 million viewers. So pretty solid. I'm always wondering if they're going to compare it to last season, and that's going to be the determining factor because last season there were a lot of one shares, 1.1s, and they were up around 6 million, I believe, total viewers. So I don't know. It's really going to be interesting to see how they make their decision as to whether or not there's going to be a season three. Obviously, we wonder that each week. Yes, we do. (laughs) But let's go ahead and get into our episode discussion. All right, Mike, what is it about the carnival? Because we're back there again. (laughs) And, you know, Molly just seems to be using that as a backdrop for working out her issues. Yeah, and I think there was some discussion last week of how the carnival scenes went on a little longer than perhaps they needed to, but I think we got a fairly quick wrap-up. I think the only thing that troubled me was how many times we saw JD with the gunshot wound that I assume you're about to talk about. <laughs> right, I think only three. <laughs> but uh, so, so we're at the carnival, Molly seems disoriented, And she's holding some sort of necklace with a pendant, which obviously we come to learn sort of what we think that is. J.D. stumbles forward, clearly wounded, as you alluded to, and asks Molly what she did to him. And and it seems pretty obvious. It's a gunshot wound. She looks down to reveal a revolver in her hand. And so it went from the pendant to the revolver. Yeah, it switched 
what she was holding, I guess. Although I don't think that was a revolver. I think that was more of a pistol. But <laughs> oh, Okay. So I guess the implication is that this pendant somehow kills J.D.? Oh, I don't think so. I think those are two different things. But because one sort of seemed prophetic, Molly is worried that the other, the one dealing with J.D., is also prophetic. So, no, I don't think that, well, you could be right, but I didn't connect those two things in my mind. Okay, and I'm just really talking about in her mind, since this seems to be a, a way for her to work things out. But regardless, we left her dead on yeah. the table, flatlined last week. Now we're back to the hospital room. We still see the flatline, and then all of a sudden we do notice that she's aged considerably, so she looks 70, maybe even 80. Suddenly she gasps for breath, opens her eyes, and... That was surprising because it was one thing for her to come back to life, but probably even more or at least equal to that surprise was uh oh is Halle Berry gonna have to play an old lady for the rest of the season (laughs) yeah right because we we certainly saw Tara do the same thing but then we learned pretty quickly that that was part of a plan she did that on purpose well I don't know because she and Molly both seem to have quote-unquote died from the virus but instead of dying they were able to go into the transformation stage so Adu couldn't do that perhaps because he had already fully grown but seriously, what was scary for me was that Adu got old and then died. So you assumed that even if Molly was able to come back, she might still not be long for the world. But yeah, it's kind of a combination of Adu and Tara, what they went through. Right. And I guess we really don't know. Either way, GSC is in a level one lockdown. And we see, you know, everybody's trying to exit the building. We see Julie trying to get Ethan out. And then suddenly he breaks away from her, and I guess he's headed back towards the lab, which is where they came from. I loved when she just pushes that one guard out of the way. Yeah, she's saying, I'm going to come after Molly too, which you'd be surprised. I guess she's really going to protect Ethan, but when you stop to think about it, Ethan's not really vulnerable (laughs) in the sense of the virus or against the hybrids. Right, that's true. And, And you wonder really, though, what, her motivation is is she following him because she sees him as her son is she following him because she sees him as a humanic that she's worked on from day one or does she feel some guilt as she made her confession to molly and wants to genuinely help ethan uh, go back after molly right and i think it's more that than the other two i i really do like the way she's kind of making amends for what she did and i like that and i also like the fact that molly seems to be giving her a chance to redeem herself yeah there wasn't a lot of time spent on bad blood right now julie runs to the lab sees a group of humanic soldiers on an elevator lucy's among them meanwhile it appears that molly is going to shed her skin the way we've seen other hybrids and that was pretty cool not not what i expected i expected you know what? I got to be honest, Mike. I almost half expected a different actress. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about that last week. I would I would have been surprised, but maybe not as surprised as I as people might think. So, I do think it's interesting that the process was different. Obviously, for the hybrids that are born on Earth, they only do the molting as part of their growth process, whereas she made a conscious choice it seems like in her dream state 
to shed her humanity. And so all the gray hair and wrinkly skin, that's the human part of her dying. And now she's full on hybrid. Yeah, I like that, man. Yeah. Well, like, like I said, she sees Lucy in the elevator and we're thinking, whoa, how is that even possible? Yeah, that's what she says, too. <laughs> yeah. They enter the lab. Julie hides. And then we see J.D. and Shepard together working together during the crisis. Aren't they still drunk? <laughs> that's true, aren't they? I guess they uh, sobered up very quickly because of the adrenaline pumping through their veins. But yeah, I guess uh, they were pretty drunk. But either way. You know, and then, like you said, Molly starts peeling away her aged skin, pulling out the gray hair, and then it's the 40-year-old Molly underneath. We have to remind you, Dave, that she's actually pushing 50. Is she? Yeah. She looks 40. (laughs) I know. You'd never know it. All right. So Ethan then finds Molly banging on the door of the virus containment room. He figures out the passcode, I guess, or is it somehow he's he's machine to machine? (laughs) Yes. He's hacking in with his... uh, being able to talk to the machines. Like, he did a little bit of that in season one, actually. Okay. And, and you know, you almost half wondered what he's going to do once he gets in, and, and they immediately hug each other, I mean, really tightly, almost as if they don't want to let each other go. And he says that he knew she'd come back, and I guess we're to take that she didn't realize she had died. Yeah, she's like, come back from what? But yeah, and we have to remember that Ethan did just get his memories back as well. So that explains his wanting to reunite with his mother, because now he has all those memories back that he had lost earlier in the season. Okay. And, and, you know, we've talked all along about J.D. and realizations that he's had to come to, you know, like Toby had said, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, that, that he's ended up seeing things he never thought he would see. Well, geez, what about J.D.? Well, especially now, right? He's seen someone come back from the dead. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Um, So either way, he tells them, you got to get out of the building because he sees where all of this is headed. Now, Nate tells them that the Humanics have taken hostages. He doesn't really have a whole lot of details to provide. But either way, it it seems pretty clear that the Humanics have run amok, at least in terms of human safety, right? Right. And it's not really clear what their plan is other than the release of the virus but as time goes by we see that tara is arming some plasma mines in that room that has the deadly viruses to humans that is and molly actually sees this even as early as when ethan is opening the door for her she starts flashing with her yellow eyes and she can sense what it is that tara is doing right now is that something we've seen before because i don't don't, yeah that ability yeah no i didn't think so either So now that she's full on hybrid, she's able to communicate person to person, perhaps the same way the hybrids have been doing all along. We just haven't seen it. Okay, and I guess the question becomes, at least I thought that what she was doing with those plasma mines was basically blowing the lab up to release the virus. Yeah, me too. That's what I thought. Well, Tara lets Molly into the viral containment room, but we see that she's also got Shepard in there. You know, manipulating him to tell Molly that he has always loved her. You know, that's almost like a teenager thinking that's going to work somehow. Oh, really? I didn't take it that way. I actually thought she was using the circles on his neck to just keep him from moving around and that he was actually saying that. But yeah, I like your version better. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm not sure how to feel about Lucy coming back because 
as we've said all along, she's such a great character. I know we both love the actress. Mm-hmm. And I have to be honest, I thought she was gone. I thought that was the last we'd seen of her. And I was ready to be angry about it. I was ready to say, no, come on, that can't happen. But I like the explanation they came up with for having it. Well, it's not really an explanation, is it? It's kind of a mystery that we're going to have to solve. But obviously she's answering to some kind of higher power, as she puts it. (laughs) Well, right. The way they weave in the story of Calderon and his involvement in not only the Humanic program, but as it turns out, Taylor as well. So, geez, I'm getting goosebumps. I mean, really, it it really is such a great storyline. And then once we hear that, it makes it even more compelling. Yeah, and I'm so glad to see Lucy back in charge. She brings her unit to the elevator to take them to the virus room. And Nate tries to do a little trick with some kind of device to hold up the elevators. Oh, the elevators aren't working, guys. But she actually says that she will force him. But he says, you know, robots can't use force against humans. It's against your basic programming protocol. And she has the great line as she snaps his neck. I'm not a robot. That was a great scene. Exactly. And and look, I'm sure most of our listeners have a pretty extensive background in sci-fi robot stories. I mean, we all know Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics, and, and certainly we figured this was one of them. And then we're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, how did she get back online? Exactly. How did she even get constructed back together? Because I think they even took her apart off screen. So, yeah, very interesting because it would have seemed to require a human agent of some kind. So we can't fully blame someone like Taylor or even someone like Calderon, who's maybe not physically present. So I feel like there's maybe some help being given. Right. And, and you know, one of the interesting things about this episode, while we did have separate storylines i think as you and i talked before it just seemed to make more sense to go chronologically because everything is already related so now we're back in the containment room it seems tara's going to blow herself up she's got the dead man switch in her hand and we're still trying to figure out exactly what it is she's going to do i mean is it strictly about the virus I think it is actually about the virus, but what's interesting is that she's almost indicating that she is being influenced by Ares and Molly, I think picks up on that. And that's how she's able to persuade her to not be influenced by Ares's hate and that this doesn't have to happen this way because obviously Ares has asked Tara to sacrifice herself in this particular mission. And Molly actually uses that to talk Tara down and get, on their side right it's almost as if tara has not thought this through completely that you push that switch dear and you're going up too yeah exactly i I actually thought she was in charge based on adu's warning a couple episodes back so i was kind of surprised that indeed it actually is aries in charge which of course makes more sense but tara was so badass last week i thought she was actually going to be uh, more of a leader type but obviously she's been influenced by not only aries but molly being so nice to her and holding her when she was younger, which was only a few days ago, (laughs) uh, obviously mattered to Tara a great deal. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that really strikes me about this show is that everybody is basically telling the truth 
in these situations. I mean, you know, we'll talk about Stanton later, and it seems as if she's the bad guy. But when you look at the entire situation she's dealing with, just like General Shepard earlier, you understand why she does what she does. And even here, Molly's telling her, you know, this is a war that the hybrids can't win. And that's true. They can't. That's right. There's not enough of them. And so even though the virus can't wipe out everyone, it is definitely something that needs to be worked out rather than more deaths. Okay. So is it fair to say at this point, Molly is full on hybrid? Yes, definitely. And persuades Tara to put down the dead man switch. Molly knows she's been influenced by Ares. And finally she and Toby are able to talk her down. She disarms that switch with a little button on the bottom and then JD and Ethan come in and tell them that the humanics are on their way. And luckily the fact that Shepard was a hostage came in handy because he knew about some special evacuation tunnels they could use. Yeah. Which were pretty cool. But then again is what led him to be branded uh, a traitor. Yeah, exactly. He gives, and in retrospect, the mistake because it got captured on a reflection, (laughs) but he gives JD his gun. And, you know, we've talked about, the ice thawing between Molly and Julie and, you know, the relationship between Shepard and JD, which obviously goes way back to their soldier days when he served under general Shepard and the the way they're drawing closer and closer together. But then suddenly Ethan starts glitching. I, I mean, I don't know what else to call it. Yeah. And at this point in the episode, we're like, what is that? And in fact, it almost goes by so fast that you forget about it until it happens again later. But here it's extremely puzzling because it doesn't seem to have any specific motivation. Well, you know, he sees Nate's lifeless body. I mean, you know, if it was one of the hybrids, you'd chalk it up to, you know, whatever supernatural powers that they have or, or super alien powers that they have. But what's the deal with him being able to see that? Well, I don't know. That's a good question, because I I guess I didn't realize that he was seeing something in the distance. Is that what you're saying? He was seeing something remotely? Yeah, maybe. See, I'm telling you, I guess that's a good question. Uh, Maybe I have to go back and watch that after we're finished podcasting. But that's when it's noticed by the characters, just at the same time I noticed it. Hey, we've got a human, a hybrid, and a humanic all working together here. And Tara notices that she can't read Ethan and says, you're one of them. Right. And ordinarily, this is one of those dialogue exchanges that would kind of make me cringe a little bit. But it doesn't because, you know, the Molly goes into her response that not all humanics are bad, just like all hybrids are not bad. And and then Ethan kind of puts out his hand and tells her that he won't hurt her. Yeah. And I think Molly even says, and not even all humans, for that matter, almost like an afterthought. <laughs> but yeah, Ethan is taken at his word, I think. I think Tara believes that he will not hurt her yeah all right so lucy's crew and and we've talked about how badass she is and just like leading this little unit i don't know it's just the way she carries herself she doesn't even have to say anything she's just got her chin up her eyelids like half down so she looks like she's almost bored but in a way that makes you feel like she's completely confident right and (laughs) we get you know the first really big wth moment there because you know, she comes across Shepard. Shepard tells her to go one direction, which is clearly the wrong direction. But immediately she realizes, no, that's not the way. Tells her unit to go check the tunnels. 
And then he questions her about not following his orders, and then she gives him the uh, response that she receives orders from a higher authority. Yeah, and this is where it really starts to come together for us that there's something else going on that caused Lucy to be reassembled, rebooted, and it's not something that we really know about, especially this early in the episode. We have no clue what she's talking about there. All right, so J.D., Molly, Tara, and Ethan make their way to the evacuation tunnels, and then there's a shelter. Now, I'm not sure how J.D. knew it was there. I guess I guess Shepard told him. No, they weren't in the facility anymore. Oh, they weren't. Point. Oh, they got it. They, okay, I got you. So they got it. I think this might have even been one of his friends, the actor that plays James Ellison on Sarah Connor Chronicles. Mm. You know that guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. So maybe it's one of his little safe houses. Kind oh, of thing. okay, okay. That that makes more sense. They've got food, a wind-up television, which, of course, they immediately see a news report that a bomb's been exploded at the GSC. Now, they say the intelligence wing, and I'm wondering, was that a cover story? Yeah, now I'm wondering. <laughs> or did the bomb just go off somewhere else? Because as we go through the episode and we learn that really what was happening here is that the Humanics were trying to set up the hybrids to be the bad guys. Yeah, now that I did notice. But yeah, I, I guess I didn't notice that the explosion that they showed on the news was the same one that, that just happened the way you described right after Shepard left the room. So did that release the virus? That's a good question. Because they're, if they're calling it the intelligence wing, they make it seem fairly benign other than destruction of property. But whoever t- gave her that order wants the humanics to be more needed to defend humanity against whatever this threat is, even though the general public doesn't know that it's aliens. Right. And based on the news report, Stanton must still be feeding the media the information that Molly and J.D. are terrorists, which, again, in her perspective, I guess they kind of are. I mean, I mean, again, like Shepard four, five, six episodes ago, his job was to protect the human race at all costs. And that's her job, too, right? Yeah, she he was of like mind to Stanton until recently. So Stanton's still on that same tack that it doesn't matter what sacrifices we have to make. We need to get rid of these hybrids once and for all so that the threat is contained and we don't have to worry about it anymore, even if there's hope of peace. doesn't matter. Right. And, and Tara vocalizes what we just said a minute ago, that it seems as if the hybrids are responsible in the minds of everybody else when, when she knows, of course, that they're not. She wants to leave. Molly reassures her that she'll figure things out and try to uh, obviously put things right, which is going to be easier said than done for sure. All right. So we're here in the shelter and Molly and JD are going to do some investigating and we'll get back to that storyline in a little bit. But I really liked that Molly was being the mother even to Tara at this point. Well, technically, I guess she's her grandmother. But Yeah, and you know, you wonder whether Tara makes that connection, where, or not that she necessarily makes it, but whether it really means anything to her. Whether she feels that relationship. Right, that this is her grandmother. Right. All right, well, Shepard returns to the command center, learns that the GSC intelligent floor has been knocked out, and, and, and like we said, whether or not it actually has, we don't know, but... Something got blown up. <laughs> Uh, there are five dead, including Nate, and Stanton wants to know the names of anyone who had clearance to know about the tunnels because she suspects a mole. Which is, of course, Shepard. <laughs> which is, of course, Shepard. And she wants Molly's body recovered for proof of death. Yeah, you got to give credit to Stanton. She 
doesn't take Shepard at his word that, ah, those tunnels, you know, everyone knows about those. And she also wants Molly's body recovered, which shows that she's not just going to take everything at face value. Right. And we've been critical of various factions in the past that they didn't finish the job. Right. (laughs) Falling skies. (laughs) Exactly. And that's what she wants to do here. All right. So I love the, the exchange between Stanton and Lucy, who's, like we said, clearly in a leadership position. And while she understands, Stanton that is, that four died in the explosion, she's a little concerned about the circumstances about Nate's death. I love that. I love that she's suspicious of that, as she should be. Right. And after Lucy explains, and like I said a few minutes ago, she tells her the truth. That's amazing. I mean, you can see her stop, think about it, and decide the best course of action is to tell the truth. And Stanton just kind of says, regrettable, but necessary. (laughs) And like you said, we're expecting her to lie, to make up a story. So whether her programming kicked in and, you know, the odds are that the truth will be better. Well, it's interesting because the secretary is grateful, I think, that that tough call was made. And she does think think it was necessary if Nate was aiding and abetting. But she doesn't pause to think about the fact that Lucy made that decision on her own. I mean, that has just as dire consequences if these robots are making their own decisions without receiving orders. But Stanton doesn't seem to worry about that. Well, right. But but that's what Anna, for instance, loved about Lucy, that, that she did make these decisions on her own and that at least up to that point, they were the right decisions. But it's almost as if they can't see the big picture. It's as if they never saw Terminator. <laughs> it's because they're in immediate danger. It's useful now. And they just can't see past after the hybrids are gone. What are they going to do then? Yep. <laughs> It'll be too late. Yep. So Stanton's informed that Molly still hasn't been found, orders Lucy to bring her in, and she asks her, dead or alive? Either. Which is the expected answer. <laughs> right. So then my question is, which do you think Lucy prefers? I think she would prefer to bring her in dead and okay. is glad to have the permission to do so. <laughs> good, good. All right. So frantic, we see Julie finding Shepard. He reassures her that Ethan did get out safely, which I think assuages a lot of her guilt and fear. But he doesn't know that Lucy attacked Julie, leading Ethan to pull the circuits. You know, that scene we saw with the blue stuff all over the floor. Yeah, he's not in the know about the Charlie and Julie fiasco. (laughs) Right. And I love the quick to the point exchange. She tells him that someone put Lucy back into operation and into the field. It wasn't me. Who could it have been? You know, really, uh, it's just Anna would be the only one that she surmises could do it. And then tells him about the phone call to Anna the night John was killed. And this is an interesting exchange because Toby was convinced when he was talking to JD that it couldn't be Anna. And I took him at his word that if he says it's not Anna, then it's not Anna. But he starts to have doubts. And of course, later on, we find out the whole Calderon and and the connection there. But here at this point, when Julie tells him that, he actually thinks, well, maybe Anna did do it. And guess what? So did I. (laughs) Yeah. And then he tells her that he'll investigate, but keep it between them. And, you know, just that little tiny kernel of me thought, nah, he's lying. But then I'm thinking, no, he's telling the truth. But you wonder What's she thinking? Does she really believe him when he tells her that he'll investigate it? I think she probably believes him. But the one thing that kind of changes my mind about maybe what that look was all about 
when he heard her story is he maybe was already jumping to the conclusion that it was Nicholas Calderon. Even at that point, maybe he again discounted that it could be Anna, but he put two and two together as Julie was telling him that story. Okay. Is there anything to the uh, fact that on the back of that photo we saw a few episodes back that there was an E on the end of Calderon? I think that's your basic continuity error, (laughs) which was kind of fun to spot. Or whoever wrote on the back of the picture just spelled the name wrong. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, he calls up the latest file on Nicholas Calderon. So now we're thinking like, okay, now we may be getting somewhere. Although I I certainly didn't expect to go as far as we did in this episode. Oh, no. When we were talking about Calderon, we were so proud of ourselves for remembering the photograph. But we never would have predicted that the Calderon situation would be as big as it is. Uh, I think I mentioned that one of the possibilities might be that he was a rival of John's and someone else that worked with him, but I would have thought he would have been a little bit more secondary to this whole plot, but he's almost the linchpin. Right. And and how smoothly he was woven into the story arc. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess in a sense he was a rival of John's, you know, even though they worked on it together, they, they had, I guess, philosophical differences on the direction of the program. Exactly. All right. So we're in the shelter J.D. tells Molly that they need to talk about her metamorphosis. And what he really means is, I need information. Why did you molt? (laughs) Right. Uh, And she tells him that she knows things. And, and, you know, I guess that vision of him bleeding again. I mean, uh, that's what we see at this point. And then Shepard calls. She wants to go meet him. And then, you know, we get the, hey, I know a guy who can help us disappear. And. That's certainly the right move, but yeah, I mean, it's like a Band-Aid approach. Yeah, it's something that gets introduced into television shows quite a bit. And J.D. certainly is one of the most resourceful people I've ever seen in a show like this. He's just got a guy for everything. Right. And I guess to be fair, you know, I used the metaphor about a Band-Aid approach and sometimes that's what's necessary to buy time before you figure out what, uh, you know, a more prudent course of action would be. And Molly wants to see it through, but she does actually say, well, maybe we'll use him after we get the job done. Right. Now, he does go a little over the top with his universe has miracles theory that brought them together. And- oh, yeah. I thought that was I thought he was going to come up with something really good for the reasons why he his feelings have grown for molly but yeah he gets a little bit romantic with his language but damn it mike at least it led to something yes significant yes everyone was wishing for it even people who are not shippers probably rejoiced at jd and molly kissing in this episode yeah so he gives her a hood that's going to prevent facial recognition and a gun i'm not going to lose you again and then finally kisses her Wonderful scene. Despite all the cheesy statements he made to her to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> Loved it. Yep. All right. Now, Lucy follows a surprised Julie to her car in the underground parking facility. And knowing that Julie's curious about her being rebooted, she tells her right away that it's classified. It's almost like <laughs> taunting her. Exactly. She's like, hey, I, I suppose you're curious. Sorry, I can't tell you. <laughs> yep. Wants to know Molly's location. Julie's under the impression that Molly died in the Faraday cage. And I'm thinking, yeah. right. So that's true. Right. And and she scans her with her uh, Kira Cameron like CMR. <laughs> yeah. She has her lie detector software running. And even though Julie is not telling the truth in terms of what really happened, it's the truth to her. Right. 
And I love this scene. There's been so little humor in this series, and that's fine. <laughs> it's a serious show. Right. And then if I find out you lied, I'm going to be very angry. Say hello to Ethan. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That was great. <laughs> yeah, usually JD gets all the funny lines. He he does have some wit. But yeah, Lucy having a line like that is just great. <laughs> and, and coming from her makes it even funnier. <laughs> yeah. And of course, she doesn't intend to be funny. Now, Molly meets Shepard in this darkened alley, tells him that a humanic set off the bomb. And, and he, you know, he starts to put the pieces of the puzzle together as well. And then he tells her that a humanic killed Nate Malone. And then, of course, like everybody else, she's surprised that a humanic hurt a human because, you know, they're supposed to be programmed not to. And up until now, the only people who really knew what was going on with the humanics program that was going down the wrong path was Charlie and Julie. Right. And Ethan, I guess. Right. And then this is the instance where we start to hear more about Calderon perhaps trying to hijack the humanic program and you know we find out that he worked with john created the prototype they had a falling out though we don't find out what the falling out was about i mean we can surmise i'm sure it was ethical about the direction of the program perhaps calderon thought it should go towards the military and john well maybe not even that extreme but maybe john wanted them to have authentic human experiences and live like children and maybe calderon just wanted it to be a little bit speedier okay with putting in the programming the same way uh, Lucy's was. But yeah, something broke them up. And Molly now remembers a call from John. And if you play it back in the the original episode, when he got hit by the train, he's calling her. He's saying something about, I'm going to call, boom, you know, and then the train runs (laughs) or something like that. So it wasn't, I'm going to call someone. It's, I'm going to Calderon. And Molly figures that out. Right. And now, is it possible they they surmise that Calderon either killed or had John killed because John found out what he was planning to do with the Humanics program? And very opportunistic. Apparently, Calderon already has carried out some type of bombing in, I can't remember what state they said, somewhere in the Midwest. So he's already started going down a dark path. And now he's being opportunistic to exaggerate this alien threat so that he can use the humanics the way he wants to and basically create his own army that he is the dictator of. Right. And, and, you know, we can start eliminating suspects, but can we eliminate Anna? I mean, isn't it reasonable to think that perhaps she's his person on the inside? No, totally. I think it's possible. And Perhaps even a closer relationship than that. You never know. <laughs> All right. Well, then, it, as if that wasn't enough, we find out that he's engineering a coup using not only the human, or, or this is what they, they suspect, but apparently he and John also created Taylor way back, according to Shepard, as a threat assessment tool. And what he's really trying to do is stoke the fear of the hybrids, which will allow him then to increase the size of the humanic army. Yeah. And I like this explanation because of course, if John and Shepard were friends, then it would make sense to get him to build that threat assessment computer. And if we are to believe what Taylor says later, he started out as a kind of a humble program and, and just grew and grew and grew as his experience grew. So it is logical to think that John might create such a thing. All right. So Lucy shows Stanton 
the video footage that contains the reflection of Shepard handing J.D. his gun earlier on. And, and so now they realize that they have a traitor. Lucy's providing information to her superior that she should. And I think Stanton reacts as she should. Yeah. She actually charges Shepard with treason later on. So I think their timing was interesting too, because Shepard at that point has already gone in to see Taylor. And I almost wonder if as he's talking to Taylor and Taylor is telling him that Calderon has been a fugitive for seven years and possibly at that very moment is when Stanton is finding out the information from Lucy because suddenly Taylor informs him that he's not at liberty to say when the last time Calderon accessed the system was, which is what Shepard wants to know because his clearance has been revoked possibly at that very moment. Yep. And the next thing you know, we've got Stanton and some guards. He momentarily gets away running down the hall, but uh, I guess he's (laughs) not as quick as he used to be. And they arrest him for treason. And again, like we've said all along, it's easy to see Stanton as the bad guy, but her job is to save the human race. And clearly he is colluding with the, or at least who they perceive to be the enemy. Oh yeah. And Stanton's totally logical. And it's not like she doesn't hear people out because she then has Shepard in custody and he gets to plead his case and goes through every logical step. Molly's not the real problem. The hybrids didn't blow up the GSC wing. It was Calderon that recommissioned Lucy and he's controlling the humanics. And she actually says something like, oh, come on. Calderon is every law enforcement agency's, what was it, uh, like fable or something like that, where he's a myth right. and he's uncatchable. Or, I mean, she, she believes he's a real person, but not that he's behind this. Right, exactly. And, you know, I was thinking back to when we first met Stanton. And she had a tough decision to make, and she wanted to just pass it off to Taylor. Remember that? She seemed to be the only other person who knew who Taylor was. Well, I wasn't sure, though, if she did or not. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess I'd have to go back and watch it. But what struck me, though, is that she didn't want to make the tough decision, as opposed to now, not only does she make all the tough decisions, she makes them fast. That's true. So you're leaving open the possibility that she doesn't even know that Taylor's not a person right right (laughs) i guess that could be but as shepherd keeps trying to persuade her he says that peace with the hybrids is the only course because if they're going to be dealing with a despot (laughs) raising his humanic army they're going to need to have something to combat it and warns her (laughs) of an eventual police state run by calderon using the humanics to carry out his orders which you have to admit sounds a little bit outlandish And I love the look on Stanton's face. She kind of just blinks and then has him taken away. (laughs) Right, right. But I think it's easy to conclude that she doesn't believe a word that came out of his mouth. But I'm not so sure. I think, you know, I I think she's processing all of this. And I think she may be the one character that surprises us before this season's over. Like she might have a change of heart? Exactly. Okay. Yes. Yes. I would like that. And, and again, his story and his prediction, I mean, it's the same dystopic future we've seen so many times before. Yeah, that's true. It's just, it sounds a little bit ridiculous when he's saying it to Stanton, because it, it sounds like something out of a sci-fi novel, but they're living in a sci-fi novel right now. Yes. All right. So back at the shelter, Ethan wakes JD because he can't sleep. 
And since he doesn't have spherical chess available, <laughs> and, and again, I like JD. Well, what do you usually do? You know, uh, so JD teaches him how to play Texas Hold'em. Yeah, and at first uh, I thought, isn't it strange that Ethan can't sleep, can't shut himself down? And it's a nice, very subtle way of introducing what happens to him later. But obviously, JT gets creative with the playing with chips. You said there isn't very much humor in this show, but I actually think this scene does have quite a bit of humor to it. Oh, especially after he, you know, he beats him, and you know, he, I forget what he says. You know, two queens over twos or whatever. Yeah, and then just suddenly. What are your intentions regarding my mother? Yeah, classic timing. <laughs> right, and JD's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, he tries to start explaining himself and didn't get really get very far before Ethan starts glitching again. And this is where now in looking back, you can see all these moments that he's been acting strange, including not being able to sleep. Because when you think about it, he should be able to shut himself down without too much trouble. Right. And, and Molly comes in and she's, I guess, got enough experience with the humanic program that she performs a hard shutdown and takes Ethan, leaving Tara alone. And all right. Show of hands, listeners. How many of us thought there's <laughs> no way in hell that Tara's staying there alone? All right. She's going to go off and try to do her own thing. But yeah, surprisingly, yep. she stayed. At least until Eris knocked on the door. Now, does she... No. See, I don't think she knew it was going to be him because when she sees him, you know, I noticed this on the rewatch. She kind of just moves back a little bit like it surprises her. And, and even though I does she have her bag with her? Well, that's what we were talking about at work earlier today. We were having uh, some speculation going because I thought she put her backpack on almost as though she was ready to leave before she answered the door. It's almost as if she knew somebody was coming to knock on the door. That's what I'm wondering. It's either okay. that or she doesn't want to know who's knocking at the door. She doesn't feel safe and is getting ready to bolt. Okay. See, we don't really have a good sense of how much time has elapsed because when they all left, I think they sort of implied that they might be 24 hours. I can buy that. And certainly Aries was not necessarily expecting Tara to live through her mission, but they can sense each other. So perhaps he said, oh, Tara's still alive. Let's go after her. Okay. All right. Well, we see Toby, he knocks out his guard. He tries to talk his way out of the handcuffs at first uh, with this soldier. But uh, <laughs> What kind of soldier would I be if I did that, sir? Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm proud of you, son. He knocks him out, grabs the keys, and runs. Well, he gave him a chance to do it the easy way, <laughs> the cooperative way with your superior officer, but took the other way instead. Right. All right. So Molly and JD take Ethan to Julie. And this is what I found interesting. She says his processors aren't responding because they seem to be performing another task. So I start to wonder, is he being manipulated remotely in the same way that the humanics are? Yeah, I think Calderon is trying to hack into him, if you will. Yeah, yeah. All right, so they're there. JD asks her about you know what she said she saw in her dream when she died. And then she says, I went to a place that I used to love. So I guess that answers my question that I asked at the top of the show about what is it with the carnival setting? It's a childhood memory of hers that she's fond of. Right. Although if in fact the carnival is where her father took her so that he could meet his mistress, I'm not sure why that would be. Well, she seems to indicate that she blocked that memory and that she came to a reckoning with it in this dream. 
and came to a place of forgiveness. And I like that they've given this uh, a little bit more explanation, not only from the standpoint of making a change in her mental state, but also, of course, giving up her humanity and leaving it behind when she came back from the dead, basically. Okay. Uh, Well, so what does she need to be forgiven for, for giving up her humanity? Well, she doesn't need to be forgiven. She needed to forgive her father. Okay. And also John, perhaps, to a certain extent. But this dream makes sense from the point of view of what she's done physically. But I don't understand why she's so worried about a part of the dream that shows J.D. dying because she somehow thinks it's prophetic, but none of the other content in there is prophetic. Well, that's true, but that's what I'm thinking, is that it is somehow prophetic. And I wouldn't have given it a second thought if it weren't for the necklace, the pendant, because the pendant obviously did show her something that she couldn't possibly have known. So then you start to worry about the same thing she does. But JD thinks like I do. He says, well, it's just a dream. Lots of people have had the dream of killing me. (laughs) A lot of his exes. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So Julie calls Molly into the room. And though Ethan's still offline, you see something glowing in his chest that we've not seen before. Well, it kind of looked like the warmers getting geared up like in the season finale of season one. But Well, that's true. That's true. But that's not what it was, I guess. Yeah, right. Because Julie doesn't seem to have really any idea what's going on. Then suddenly he sits up. Mom, I have a message from dad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And this seems like it's actually Gran Viznich's voice. So they must have gotten him to do some voiceover work. <laughs> right. But that first part was in his own voice, in Ethan's voice. Right, right, right. right. And then, as if that wasn't creepy enough, he's, <laughs> as you just said, he starts speaking in John's voice. Great lip sync job by <laughs> young Pierce Canyon. Right. And explains that this is a built in fail safe in case of his death and a worst case scenario, which is a humanic killing a human. And he calls it the harbinger of greater crimes to come. Now, when he says there's only one thing that can stop them, what the heck is he talking about? The pendant, perhaps? Okay. Yeah, I guess so, right? Because then they've got the drawing. And I thought they said that Nicholas Calderon possesses it, and he's their only hope. Yeah, and so here's where I'm worried. Because if John made this recording a long time ago, perhaps it was during a time when he trusted his friend. And now he's no longer trustworthy or alternatively, he actually is good. And this whole picture that we've had painted for us is completely wrong. Right. But leave it to JD to sum things up very succinctly. So is Calderon the savior or the devil? And I love this. I love this whole concept. I mean, too few shows do this where you are wondering who's the good guy and who's the bad guy and whose story is the truth. I love that kind of stuff because now we're speculating. Right. And then, you know, we're thinking back to the flashback at the carnival. And now we have some idea of what that pendant actually is because it it certainly resembles the drawing. Yeah. And then I start to worry about her dreams about JD because, again, this is not something she could possibly have known about. And yet she saw it ahead of time. That's very interesting to me because we've never seen any indication that the hybrids have any kind of psychic powers. Right. Right. So is that a byproduct of Molly starting out as human? I guess yeah. we'll find out. And I guess I'm not entirely correct about psychic powers as if you include mind control, but not precognition. <laughs> exactly. Right, right, right. 
All right, so in the final scene, Shepard is driving, and I can't remember where I, I read it. You know, again, I, I try not to read anything before we record, but uh, somebody was alluding to the fact that why didn't they just... Uh, oh, that was Barb, yeah. We'll, we'll hear that in the audio okay, feedback. All right, so uh, the next thing we see is a fighter is pursuing him. A drone, I think. Uh, oh, it's a drone, okay. He calls Molly, and just as she answered, the drone launches a missile that takes out his car. And I'm sorry... He's dead. <laughs> he better be dead. He better be dead. We've had that conversation a lot. When is dead dead? This is something where, and I think Barb says this as well, <laughs> that we didn't see a body. Uh, no, not in this case. I think he's pretty much toast, even though we didn't see the results. Yes, yes. Sorry to see uh, this particular character go, though, I have to say. Yeah, and I hope it's not the harbinger that uh, season two is all we're going to get, so... On the other hand, maybe we'll get a whole new set of characters to go along with Molly Woods. And yeah, you had Alan Sparks in season one, Tobias Shepard in season two, and a whole new old friend of Molly's in season three. Yep. So what does this vision of a bleeding JD mean? Does he get shot in some kind of confrontation over the pendant? What powers does this pendant actually possess? I mean, how is it going to bring a halt to what's going on here? Yeah, is it some kind of access key to core humanics programming or perhaps to taylor's uh server or something like that because you you have to wonder if taylor is involved in it somehow but yeah i do wonder is how is jd going to get shot is that actually going to happen is that going to come true right and just like kind of what you said there can taylor shut down all the humanics simultaneously I don't know. We don't know what kind of powers Taylor has. Up till now, it's just been threat assessment. Right. Or, for that matter, Calderon. Or do they have to one by one? You know, I mean, is it something like we talked about if they were going to install the limiters on the humanics, would they have to do it one by one? Would they go through, you know, a little checklist or could they just simply... Is it like taking out the the queen in falling skies and all the skitters fall to the ground? (laughs) Exactly. Or, you know, or like a batch upload or something. Well, and that's the question, too, is... Is Calderon a red herring and Taylor is the real threat? Because he talked about, Taylor himself confessed that he's grown a billion fold since John and Calderon made him. So perhaps he's doing all this manipulation and Calderon is actually a good guy as they are hoping for with the pendant. Well, it could be. He could be dead. You know, he could be a red herring. Look, we know he existed at one time, but he could be a red herring created by taylor yeah i still am wanting to blame taylor to be honest but we'll see if if that prediction carries through all right so at this point can we assume that it seems likely that the hybrids are going to have to team with the humans and we've talked about okay i think they're going to have to make peace and work together either despite aries or perhaps aries will be convinced okay but isn't his approach reasonable we talk about each person that's in charge of of their particular species i mean he does truly believe that the humans want to eliminate the hybrids and he's not wrong yeah he's just going about it in a forceful way that actually could be dangerous for their continued survival rather than trying to slip into the shadows and and that's the other option why don't they just kind of drift off and work their magic quietly outside of the prying eyes of the U.S. government. That would be a, a third alternative, maybe. <laughs> well, well, right. And, and I think, you know, we can see where this is headed, that it's it really is going to come down to, you know, Molly being the 
somewhat reluctant Messiah. I think she's going to be the one that's going to be the savior in all of this. Oh, yeah. I think you're definitely right about that. But uh, that's our theories, and I think that's a pretty good chunk of prediction mumbo-jumbo there that we just shared. But let's hear what our listeners have to say in our listener feedback segment. And we'll start this week with Taltos, who says, I really hope that Toby's Calderon is the bad guy theory is wrong and that John's trust in Calderon was not misplaced. Having a guy that's barely even been mentioned as the big bad would be very disappointing. Scenes throughout this episode seem to point more towards Madam Secretary Stanton being behind John's death and reinstating Lucy. So, Dave, there's another possibility. Stanton is the bad guy (laughs) rather than Taylor or Calderon. Okay. I don't think that's going to be the way it turns out, but it is certainly a possibility. And Tautos thinks that would be more satisfying to the story. Stanton has been completely anti-hybrid and has shown to be very pro-humanic, even being supportive of Lucy's decision to kill Nate with her regrettable but necessary statement. Right, but but doesn't that make sense? I mean, she's trying to protect the human race, and the humanics can help her do that. Well, but I also mentioned the fact that she's overlooking the fact that Lucy did it without an order. Well, that's true. So I think that's where Taltos is coming from as well. Okay, okay. Stanton's determination to wipe out the hybrids seems to be blinding her to a possible future... Th- yeah, here's, this is what she's talking about. Blinding her to a possible future threat from the limiterless humanics. Has she not considered what the evolved humanics might do when their mission to kill all the hybrids is finished? Also, if you were curious, the song at the end of the episode was Puzzle by Low Roar. And yeah, that was a really cool... A song at the end there. So I'm glad she mentioned that so I can look it up later. <laughs> yeah. And really, uh, you know, what Taltos is saying there, I, I, you know, not to belabor it, but we all know it. I mean, again, it, it's Skynet on a smaller scale, so to speak, so that uh, does she not see the threat that the humanics really do pose? She doesn't see it. Anna doesn't see it. It seems like only Julie and Charlie see it and perhaps John, but he's not around. Yep. All right. Well, we heard from Leo again, and he says that we know the hybrids can read people's minds. Molly saw John's key in the near-death experience, but where did she get that information? Yeah. You know, it can't be John's mind or Calderon's mind. So does Molly have a new power and is now psychic like Mrs. Cleo? (laughs) We know that the hybrids cannot read humanics. The information about the key was hidden deep inside Ethan. Yeah, good point. Yeah, maybe Molly got the vision from Ethan. Oh, I like that. But how? (laughs) Yeah, well, true. Lucy's statement that she was not a robot seems to hint that there's another step in humanic evolution. Now that I like. Or is it just, you know. She prefers the term android. (laughs) Right. Perhaps Ethan is more than just a humanic and Molly could read him. Predictions. Nicholas Calderon isn't the bad guy. Yeah, and Leo agrees with me on who the real bad guy is. <laughs> okay, right. Taylor is the real bad guy who killed John and Tobias, and he's setting up Calderon as a fall guy and is aiming at world domination. I agree. <laughs> Taylor is Skynet. Last week, you get contacted by the showrunners proving they listen to the podcast. Last week, I predicted the return of John. This week, John returned, sort of. Coincidence? <laughs> Next week, we'll see a new character named Leo do something super awesome only to be killed just like Nate the Scientist. Poor Nate. Yeah, that would work, Leo, if the writers were writing it as the episodes were aired. But <laughs> but I like your theory that yeah. that our podcast is influential. Uh, we heard from Ode to Spot, who we ha- haven't heard from since season one. So very glad to hear from 
him her i don't know but ode to spot says i'm very glad for amazon prime like a listener mentioned in one of the first couple of podcasts i didn't realize season two started (laughs) until i noticed it on prime i've been a bit behind and now finally getting caught back up with the show and the podcasts although i almost quit listening to the podcast when mike said john billingsley played a doctor on voyager he was dr flox on enterprise (laughs) i apologize for that star trek error (laughs) season two started out a bit slow and i didn't think i'd like it but i really enjoyed the storyline with the humanics and whether it's right to alter the memories and experience removing ethan's pain reminds me of many star trek episodes for example the next generation episode the bonding where a young boy loses his mother in the line of duty and an alien being recreates an illusion of his mother and life on earth to take away his pain Ultimately, the Enterprise crew shows the alien that humans need to experience the pain to properly grieve and grow. That's a very good parallel. And again, more Star Trek illusions. So obviously, Ode to Spot is a huge Trek fan. Lucy's situation is interesting, too, since she bypassed all of the experience that Ethan had. Plus, she seems self-aware enough to know that adding limiters to her programming would change her, possibly stopping her from progressing the hidden agenda that she seems to have. This is all good stuff, and I hope the writers keep things going this way in parallel with the Alien storyline, which hasn't been very compelling for the first several episodes. I hope that picks back up. So I'm not sure where Ode to Spot is in the viewing of the show right now, but I think he will be pleasantly surprised by how that Alien storyline does pick up. Well, yeah, and I also like the idea, you know, that Lucy has this hidden agenda, which just kind of made me think about, you know, whether or not she really sees the big picture or whether she's just receiving her marching orders as we go along oh you mean even as far back as when she was first awoken maybe well that could be i like that idea i I feel like she's motivated slightly by fear and maybe that's not the correct assessment fear of being shut down yeah okay yeah all right and we heard again from barb who sent in this audio so why don't we take a listen and then we'll come back and talk about it Hi, Mike and Dave. This is Barb calling in with feedback on this week's extant epi, Don't Shoot the Messenger. This episode provided new alliances and reveals and gave us more questions in which I hope is a setup for a third season. Here are several observations. Molly aged, then molted, then was young again. So far, we've seen the hybrids molt and age, but we haven't seen one age, then molt, and then revert back to his or her original age. So... Do the hybrids only have so many new bodies before they finally expire? Or is Molly simply a new derivative of the alien species because she has more human DNA? Like the humanics, Molly, as a new hybrid, is evolving. Who jump-started Lucy? We seem to be down to Stanton and Anna, but I'm wondering if Super Machine Taylor, which may be controlled by Calderon, actually gave the order. We know it's not Toby, so I'll just keep guessing until I get it right. I was surprised that Lucy didn't snap Julie's neck in the garage. Lucy has such an evil demeanor. Then she switches to the say hello to Ethan as if having a conversation with an acquaintance on the street. I wasn't surprised that we addressed the harm no aliens, one of the three rules for the robots, but clearly Lucy doesn't consider herself in that league. So either Super Machine Taylor is indeed giving Lucy a few extra downloads to help her, in either Taylor's effort to become the Hal of this future world, or Calderon is really the grand master behind a world domination plan. Julie, Julie, don't open your door to strangers. 
Luckily, it was Molly, desperate to save Ethan. They seemed to have mended fences rather quickly. Julie may not be that lucky the next time someone knocks. We didn't see the body, so who knows if Toby is really dead or just injured by the side of the road, ready to make his return. I was surprised they used a drone-type missile weapon to blow up the car, rather than just taking over the car and having it run off the road. But they could probably claim a high-profile kill was necessary, as he was a dangerous fugitive assisting the hybrids. We haven't spoken too much recently about the science of the future portrayed in this show, but taking over cars is a very real issue. In July, Andy Greenberg wrote an article for Wired about two hackers and their ability to take over the electronics of a Jeep Cherokee with Mr. Greenberg as the driver in an, in an experiment to show that it could be done. It was a frightening experience for the author, and he knew that they wouldn't let him die. I've separately sent you a link to the article so that you can include it in the show notes if you wish, but this is real. Just after that article appeared on the Internet, Fiat Chrysler announced that it would recall about 1.4 million vehicles due to this software vulnerability. That's it for this week. Thanks for all your work on this podcast. This is Barb signing out, and very glad that I don't drive a Jeep Cherokee. Yeah, probably a wise choice to stay away from Jeep Cherokees for the time being. That was an interesting news story. I, I guess we did we mention that in the podcast when it happened? I don't remember. I don't remember either. It's definitely relevant to the topic at hand, though. But I want to start off, Dave, with something she mentioned very early in that audio. Is Molly different in the way she is a hybrid? And I think it's definitely true that we're seeing a completely different evolution for Molly than what the hybrids that were born that way are going through. So she molted, but didn't grow, didn't age. She molted to shed her humanity. And I think we, we covered that, but I really loved the fact that the gray hairs just kind of brushed away like that really cool effect. Right. And the implications of her difference are yet to be seen, but clearly they're going to be there. Yeah. I think the first manifestation we've seen of it is the fact that she was able to sense what Tara was doing from far away. Right. Now, she was surprised that Lucy didn't snap Julie's neck. I'm not so surprised. You know, I, I, I think it could be a combination, either of which I think is valid. And at the one hand, Julie is sort of her creator to a certain extent. But I also think she may instinctively know that Julie may prove to be useful down the road. OK, I like that. Uh, I, I was actually as puzzled by Lucy's reaction, although I enjoyed it, especially when she said, say hi to Ethan for me. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was a puzzling reaction uh, since Julie is expendable, but perhaps not important to Lucy anymore. But by far the, the most interesting one, I think we actually started to discuss it, was the fact that Toby has to be really dead because obviously Barb wants to see evidence, wants to see that body. But she says, why not, why not just take over Shepard's car the way the Jeep Cher Cherokee was taken over in real current events instead of using that drone? That's a valid question, considering what they did to John. Well, it is, but you wonder, like, for instance, does J.D. drive a Jeep Cherokee? Dun-dun-dun. I, <laughs> I don't know what his vehicle is, but, but you know what I'm getting at is he was driving the vehicle himself. You wonder if all vehicles are equipped with that kind of software. I think he specifically said that that car was not able to be controlled that way. So it's kind of ironic that it was a Jeep, considering the current events article that Barb mentioned that had a Jeep Cherokee taken over. But 
Very interesting. And I like a lot of Barb's theories and, and she always gives us great audio. So thank you very much, Barb. But that's going to be it for this edition of the Extant Podcast. Keep up with the show news and the fan interaction on Twitter by following us at Extant GSM. Lots of great stuff going on, especially during the live tweets. And you can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Extant Podcast. And Mike and I will be back next week with our discussion of Extant episode 11 of season two entitled Zugswang. But in the meantime, head on over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback to share your thoughts. You can, as always, write us a message, record a comment using your computer's microphone, or call 304-837-2278. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the Extant podcast, please consider rating and reviewing us in iTunes as Yogabon did this week. Thank you very much, Bonita, for that five-star review. And we'll talk to you next weekend. <laughs>